Hey everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my friend Lucy is back and we're talking about the movie Shakespeare in Love. Hey Lucy. Hey Michelle. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Me too. All right, so just a few things about this movie. It was released in 1998. It's directed by John Madden, written by Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard. It stars Gwyneth Paltrow, Joseph Fiennes, Jeffrey Rush, and Judi Dench. The IMDb.com summary is, the world's greatest ever playwright, William Shakespeare, is young, out of ideas, and short of cash, but meets his ideal woman and is inspired to write one of his most famous plays. It has a 7.1 on IMDb, and it made more than $289 million worldwide. And then I just want to call out that this movie was nominated for 13 Academy Awards Ooh. in 1999. It's a lot. It won seven. I'm just going to name the most noteworthy categories they won for, which was Best Picture, Best Actress for Gwyneth Paltrow, Best Supporting Actress for Judi Dench, and Best Original Screenplay. So yeah, I think to date, this is probably the most quote-unquote critically acclaimed movie that I've talked about on the pod. So with that... Let's get into our ratings. Uh, let's start with you, Lucy. What would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? Okay, I really was torn about this. I ended up going with a 9. I really like this movie. It has a lot of fond memories. I think when I rewatched it recently, it really held up for me. Yeah, I'm holding firm on my 9. Okay, I had a feeling you were going to go really high. Um, <laughs> so don't get mad at me. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going to give this a 7.9. Okay. All right. Tell me more about that. Okay. So I think unlike you, I don't have a lot of fond memories connected to this movie. Okay. I don't have much of a relationship with it. I think my first time seeing it was on VHS. Wow, wow, wow. Throwbacks. Yeah, late 90s. <laughs> I know. But I think this was more like of a moment in time for me because I distinctly remember Gwyneth winning the Oscar. I remember the right. pink dress she yep. wore, wore to the awards. And like, I just remember like the controversy around the award season. It beat Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture in 1999, which was very controversial at the time. And I think it might still be. But yeah, this it was kind of bigger than the movie itself for yeah. me. But yeah, this was a fond movie from your youth. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't remember when I watched this movie. So we must have been, how old were we? If it came out in 99, we were pretty young. Yeah. Like, yeah. Late middle school. Yeah. We were pretty young when I watched this. I don't know if it was just the romantic in me that loved <laughs> loved the whole story. <laughs> I definitely remember it being peak Gwyneth season. Like, I remember the pink dress. Mm -hmm. I remember sort of, you know, talented Mr. Ripley came out around the same time. She was in Emma. I mean, she was in everything. Mm. I think yeah. this was Brad Pitt years. I mean, it was just very all Gwen all the time. Yep. Yep. That's exactly my memory, too. Yep. Yeah. But for me, I just I really I loved it. I think it's, you know, it's a bit campy at times. It's silly. Sort of the story within the story of mm -hmm. him as Romeo, her as Juliet. It's very meta. I liked all the little dorky nods to Shakespeare. I'm not even that much of a Shakespeare nerd <laughs> or anything, but it just I liked that it laughed at itself a little bit. You know, that there were a lot of these little winks throughout the film, but mm -hmm. it, it didn't talk down to the viewer. It didn't feel overly pretentious, which I think it could have gone very easily. You know, I, I just, I, yeah, it made me sort of giggle. It wasn't the like sort of laugh out loud funny film, but it had a lot of winks. Judy Dench, I mean, come on. <laughs> like, ben Affleck actually acting well? Like, what? <laughs> you know, it's so, there's so much I just loved about this movie. I was, I was torn between the 8.5 and a 9, but you know, when mm. I was thinking about it, I was like, there weren't really a lot of things I didn't like about it. You know, it was an enjoyable watch. Yeah. Is it as wonderful as sort of like the best, most intense drama I've ever seen? No. Mm -hmm. But I also like loved it. It's it, I, I enjoyed it. So that's why I gave it the nine. That's fair. That's really fair. I will say that when I rewatched this yesterday. So honestly, I think that might have been like my second time watching it in full, like sitting down and watching it. So yeah, needless to say, relationship with this movie is very different from yours. But I have to admit, it was incredibly delightful. I think I was taking furious notes just because I didn't remember the plot of the movie. Mm, I was like, oh, mm. this is about Romeo and Juliet. Like that totally evaded my mind when I was watching this yesterday. Judy Dench, yes, agree with a lot of things you just said. But uh, one of my trivia points is that Judy Dench won the Oscar for this movie, or supporting actress, but she was on screen for approximately six minutes. 
I mean, the magic of Judy Dench. <laughs> she can do no wrong. <laughs> She's so good. <laughs> that is amazing. Can you believe? Like, I just, I mean, wow. Yeah, agree. Well done, Judy Dench. Not that she needs any accolades from me. <laughs> but I just want to also call out Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, yeah, this was like a moment for her. But I also think she was just so delightful in this movie. Yeah. I know she's kind of vilified a little bit now in the media just because she's kind of, you know, goopy and whatever. But I, I really liked her. Emma, I loved her in Emma. Sure. I think that's probably my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow film. She does the English thing really well. You know, there's that whole thing like people didn't even know that she was actually American because she was doing all these British films um, at this point in her career. Yeah. And I, I also want to call it like the winks and nods. I kind of forgot how funny this movie was to your point. Like there was a cup in the beginning, like two minutes of the <laughs> film where it says souvenir of Stratford-upon-Avon. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. It didn't take itself too seriously, which I really appreciated, but I was also surprised by. Yeah. Um, are there any other things that you specifically liked about the movie? I think I covered most of them. I like the play within a play. I mm. like the winks. You know, as I was sort of reading reviews after this, Roger Ebert has a review where he he says the movie makes makes the movie play like a contest between Masterpiece Theater and Mel Brooks. And I was like, yes, yes that, <laughs> you know, like there are so many of these Mel Brooks-esque moments, you know, mm -hmm. from the opening scene of Jeffrey Rush owing debt and having his boots held to the fire is just like so Mel Brooks. Yeah. You know, the, the therapist scene where they're oh sort of winking at the impotence and like blah, <laughs> yes. blah, blah. You know, there's so many of these Mel Brooks-esque moments, which again, like I expected to feel uh, more cringy, I guess, with a rewatch. Mm. But I didn't. I really enjoyed them. I didn't feel like they were too much, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. Like the Mel Brooks films, I think you kind of just know what you're getting yourself into. It's very campy, very just overtly ridiculous. But I think this movie toes that line really, really well. Yeah. All right. So for a movie, you're giving a nine I out know. of ten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what did I, I'm like having a moment. I'm like, what did I give Bridesmaids? I'm like, did I? I think I might have rated it lower, which I'm like, ooh, should I give them both nines? So different, but... So, yeah, it's hard. I mean, this this scale is very arbitrary. You know, it's just... <laughs> it is what it is. It's just your gut reaction. Um, there's a lot of factors I know that weigh into a score, but are there any things you don't like about this movie? I think that's why I left it at a nine, because there mm. weren't these sort of big glaring holes where I was like oh but I wish they did this or mm. you know like the campiness was too much they should have pulled back there I mean there's the obvious stuff of like sure there's no diversity in the film there's sure. you know like lots of stuff that if it was made today would be different mm -hmm. but there weren't sort of these big chunks of the movie that I thought hmm they really could have done this yeah yeah and also like even though I haven't rewatched this film a whole lot I didn't find a whole lot of things I didn't like about the movie either you mentioned Ben Affleck lol he kind of he kind of veers in this category for me not because he's not good in it but mostly because he just took me out of it like mm. Ben Affleck in a Shakespearean period movie it, it, it kind of confused me and I mean yeah it was I guess fine to see him but I was just like oh this is a weird moment but I know that he was really connected with Miramax the production studio which was Harvey Weinstein's studio so I mean I have some things to talk about later about that but um and this isn't specific to the movie but I found myself a little I guess emotionally removed from this movie just because I don't have a lot of Shakespeare knowledge I'm not really up to date with this time in the world of the 1500s, I think I lacked a lot of historical knowledge, like Christopher Marlowe, who's played by Rupert Everett in this movie, who's actually uncredited. Yeah, what's that about? Yeah, it's very strange. I'm not sure. I, I did read that he was uncredited, but yeah, no clue. I, you know, don't know who Christopher Marlowe is. And I was so I was like, oh, I should know. Should I know these people? I don't know these people. I feel really bad about knowing these historical figures. So that's kind of where I was at. Like, I had to do research after the movie to be like, oh, these are actually notable people in English literature in the 1500s. So that's on me. Again, not a reflection of the movie itself. But I think that just kind of impacted the general lack of emotional attachment I have to this movie, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. I think that's really, that's an interesting perspective too, because 
it, I mean, overall, it sounds like it's a good movie, but it just wasn't really your jam, which is totally fair. Yeah. What I found interesting or what I enjoyed is that I felt like even if you didn't know who Christopher Marlowe was, they still winked at a lot of stuff in the sense of like, you know who Shakespeare is. So it's mm-hmm. just funny that everyone is, you know, when they're on the, the boat trip and the, the person who's rowing the boat is like, oh, I once, <laughs> you know, I once gave Christopher Marlowe a ride, you know, and it's like yes, and, yes. sort of like the audience, it's almost like you don't need to know sort of who Christopher Marlowe is because the whole point is like, we all know who Shakespeare is and right. he's going to end up being this amazing, prolific writer. And yet, <laughs> and yet right. everyone the entire time is talking about Christopher Marlowe. And also, I was kind of bummed that Rupert Effort didn't have more in the movie because he's great. Yeah, and I'm a little embarrassed. I actually just released another episode, My Best Friend's Wedding, where Rupert Everett is, you know, amazing in that movie. And in that episode, I'm just like, I haven't seen Rupert Everett in anything else. And like, no, Michelle, like this was a really big moment. (laughs) (laughs) Shakespeare in Love, Rupert Everett was in it. But agree with you. I think it would have been fun to see more of of him as Christopher Marlowe. But yeah, that kind of is the only things I didn't like about this movie. Nothing specific. So mm-hmm. I think that's also why I rated it a 7.9, which, I mean, you could look at it two sides of a coin. It's like, it's really either very high or not very high. So it's just, I don't know, not a lot of nostalgia is weighted into that score of mine. So similar to you, it was mostly like, couldn't find things I didn't like. Yeah. Therefore, 7.9. Sure. All right, well, let's move on to themes. I'm not sure if... There are a lot of themes that you might have picked up from this movie. Overall, I mean, it's it's. I feel like it's kind of straightforward. There wasn't anything sort of that came out that felt, you know, the standard sort of romance, the writer's block, you know, him finding new love, you know, mm. it inspiring, you know, his muse inspiring this new piece. Yeah, I didn't feel like there was too much more than that. Yeah, same. I, I wrote down like art imitates life. Yeah. Um, but is that I don't know if that's a theme, but I think, you know, sure, it could be. Play within a play. Yeah, play within a play, exactly. The whole concept of muses, I thought was slightly interesting. And I just found myself wondering, like, would I want to be a muse for someone? And I don't think I would. Do you have thoughts on if you'd like to be someone's muse? Gosh, I, I feel like I'm having a strong reaction to the idea that, like, I don't know. I feel like it's this archetype of a woman inspiring a man, and I kind of have a cringy feel about that. <laughs> mm, I mean, that's <laughs> <Which> very fair. <laughs> I, I'm like, is it really gendered? But it feels gendered. Like, mm. so yeah, I guess I have some like mm, feelings about that. Uh, I don't know. I make my own art. Yeah. Somebody can be my muse. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. That's a really, really interesting point. I'm trying to think now. There's got to be you know, people who create art who are female who have male muses. I guess we don't really see that overtly as much as we do in situations like this where, you know, there's a male genius and he needs a female muse to produce art. I feel like that's the hackneyed story we hear a lot that feels like that's that's what I associate sort of being cringeworthy. Yeah, that's very, very fair and accurate. Unrequited Love, Starcross Lovers, Romeo and Juliet. Here we have Viola and Shakespeare. They love each other, but they can't ultimately be together. Um, loving someone from a different walk of life, which is a kind of tropey theme. But um, I guess we kind of also expect them to not end up together at the end of this movie. I think that's almost what I enjoy about the film is the story within the story. And like, we know what's going to happen, but I still enjoyed the ride. Yeah, I agree with you. I think because I don't have a lot of rewatches under my belt for this movie, I was very surprised and delighted the entire time watching this movie. Like you mentioned earlier that there's no like crazy laugh out loud moments, but there were some moments where I literally was like snorting and I (laughs) don't remember like off the top of my head. It just, it weaves in really well, just the lighthearted and you're just being like very captivated by what's actually happening because the play within a play you're watching the play and then you're also watching the play within the play so yeah yeah very enjoyable well then let's move on to favorite scenes do you have one or a few yeah anything with judy dench obviously you know she's perfect her outfits her makeup it's so bad and so good she's great you know her her sort of having those scenes where she's a a woman in a man's profession and and sort of winking at the Gwen stuff at you know towards the end was great totally deserved the award in my opinion Mm -hmm. um I really liked 
this sort of dorky, again, winks to Romeo and Juliet when Christopher Marlowe, they're sitting at the bar and he's basically yes. giving him the plot to <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, even though not historically accurate is just, again, so much of this is not historically accurate, but just really fun. Like they took it and twisted it in a way that was just really enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. So I really liked those scenes. Um, I thought they were very fun. You know, like there's one section where he's like, you know, the show must go on you know it's just so <laughs> again they're silly they're very silly but they're great and um at the end of the film when you know Gwen has to become Juliet it's like of course but again yeah. it, I don't know why it didn't feel annoying or it didn't feel heavy-handed like it still was mm. like I you you knew what was gonna happen and yet I still was there for it yeah oh that's that's really interesting I wonder I also have moments in other movies where it's like, this is so unbelievable, but I'm here for it. Like, I'm yeah. yes, I'm here for it. I'm on board. Um, so it's it's funny where that line is drawn differently for different people and in different movies. Yeah. Also, Amelda Stanton or Stan- Staunton? Amelda Staunton, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The woman who plays the nurse, who is also in Harry Potter um, yes. and also in this very interesting indie film I recently saw called Amulet, which is like, whoo, whole other podcast. But Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting film. I have a lot to say on that film, but <laughs> I digress. She is so good. She's so good. So As sort good. of the comedic relief. She's, you know, when the, the first scenes when they're having sex and she's just waiting outside the door. <laughs> She's she's wonderful. There's a lot of like fun, lighthearted moments. So those yeah. are those are the ones that come to mind for me. Okay. I loved that scene um with nurse just like pretending she's rocking her chair as the bed <laughs> inside the room is creaking from them having sex. And she Oh yeah, that was great. So good. It's not a favorite scene, but I just associate this scene so iconically with this movie is the moment when Viola and Shakespeare sleep together for the first time and he's mm. unwrapping her bandage and she's twirling. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have like, it doesn't mean anything to me, but I just remember like seeing commercials for this movie and that was always yes. the scene, the twirl. I definitely remember the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's pretty iconic. Um, this is kind of a small moment is the protester who is like denouncing theater openly, like at the beginning of the movie. But then by the end of the movie, he's also just like he gets kind of swept into the theater because people are just crowding him. So he inadvertently ends up in the theater, but he gets so emotionally invested. He's like cheering them on. And I was like, ah, see, the protester can also be swayed into liking theater. Yeah. I just want to share a quote by Dame Judi Dench. The quote is, You're a lordly fool. She's been plucked since I last saw her. And not by you. It takes a woman to know it. Obviously, my delivery is not going to be quite as amazing as <laughs> Judi Dench's. But I was like, wow, she just gets to straight to the point. And I mean, we should also call out Wessex, who's played by Colin Firth. Oh, Colin Firth. <laughs> he plays the creepy, terrible person really well. He also is very famous for playing Mr. Darcy in the original Pride and Prejudice uh, miniseries. So that's that's really funny. His range is wide, I guess. Yeah, just let's continue to double down on how amazing Judy Dench is in this movie. So good. Um, there's that other one scene. At the end, she is trying to walk over a puddle and she looks at all the men who have not yet put down their capes for her to walk across and she just straight on plows through it. She's like, you're too late. She's just, she's such a badass in the whole film. And that's why it's like, even if she was only there for four minutes or whatever it was, it was like, she just stole the whole movie. She's great. <laughs> I just can't believe six minutes of on-screen time. Work it, girl. She's she's Dame Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I have one more scene. Is yeah. Tom Wilkinson, who plays Mr. Fennyman. He was so funny to me in this movie. He was one of the big comedic elements of this movie. He plays, you know, the surly person who's owed money by Jeffrey Rush in the beginning of the movie. But by the end, he's like, yes, I'm into theater. I want to act. And he's so into playing the apothecary. And he's so excited that he finds like this little blue cap and tries to get Shakespeare's approval on this blue cap because he thinks that all apothecaries wear this. It was just a small moment that just made me really appreciate the small laughs here and there. I totally hear you. I think the similarly for me was the actor who has a stutter and he by the end, you know, he's he's challenged in the beginning, but then he just he finds that moment and everything is still and he's able to deliver it. 
everything mm. comes together. Sort of, you know, as they're talking about the film the whole time or the play the whole time, uh, they keep saying, you know, all these terrible things keep happening. Everything's falling apart. And they're like, how is it going to work out? He's like, it just will. How? I don't know. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it I does, love that. you know, and it's sort of, I think, also is winking to the movie industry in and of itself in present day and sort of, you know, even with the boat ride when he's trying to get Shakespeare to read his script or right. not paying actors well, you know, what is it? By the end, there's like 20 people who have financed the film or whatever on the, or sorry, the play, you know, on mm. as they're showing the, the yes, paper. Yes. Uh, to, to, you it know, keeps it's, going. It keeps yeah. going. Yeah. Yeah. Again, winking to to present day, all the things that you have to go through. And yet those really sweet moments of someone really, you know, finding that grounded connection to acting, to to art, to creativity is really sweet. Those sweet moments. Yeah. I feel like also this movie probably did really well in terms of winning a bunch of Academy Awards and being critically acclaimed is just because Hollywood loves stories about Hollywood, even though, you know, Shakespeare period is not dubbed Hollywood, but it's the play within a play. Yeah, I just feel like Hollywood really just loves seeing themselves on screen and they just award those kinds of depictions. I mean, I feel like the business of the business of award shows is a whole other podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have I have a trivia point later, but yeah, it's it's unreal. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to WTF moments. I know that we've alluded that this is, you know, historical fiction. A lot of things didn't actually happen. Yeah. But do you think there are any noteworthy moments to call out? I feel like we covered them a little bit earlier in sort of when Ebert was talking about a cross between Masterpiece Theater and Mel Brooks. Like, I think those those sort of Mel Brooks moments, like you were talking about the cup, you know, yeah. the souvenir, <laughs> souvenir of Stratford-upon-Avon, you know, a lot of these are obviously unrealistic in the sense of knowing that it didn't really happen that way. Or again, they're, they're twisting history to benefit the film, but I think mm -hmm. it works. Yeah. There are a couple moments that I didn't know afterwards, you know, where they're having Shakespeare's writing his signature. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, I guess there's only like six signatures of, of Shakespeare ever recorded throughout history. And they're all different, mm. which I thought was really interesting. Mm. And there's all this controversy of like, was Shakespeare really Shakespeare? Was Shakespeare actually Christopher Marlowe? You know, the, the playing with gender roles. All of that, again, serves the whoever wrote the screenplay and, and thus the film. They're using it to serve the, the plot, which, again, I enjoyed. So I didn't mind any of those. Right. But I thought they were they were interesting. Yeah, I learned that thing about Shakespeare as well, just doing research about this movie. Like, I did the research after watching the movie. So as I was watching the movie, I thought it was kind of funny that Shakespeare was, like, practicing his signature at the beginning yeah. of the movie. I was like, oh, my gosh, he's so self-involved. He's just, like, practicing his signature. But no, I think there's something to be said. Like, they're just kind of giving it a nod to the fact that, yeah, was Shakespeare actually Shakespeare? Yeah. I have a few moments. They're kind of more specific, I guess. Viola at the end just jumps to play the Juliet part mm -hmm. and she had been playing the Romeo part but I was just like wow she's just able to just dive right in without ever having to rehearse it but you know disbelief put aside that's that <laughs> you mentioned this earlier about Christopher Marlowe and Shakespeare's conversation in the tavern and yeah they're going back and forth with the plot of Romeo and Juliet. But at the end of this, I was like, in, in the vein of this movie, I don't want to step on anyone's toes that the real Shakespeare <laughs> did this. But in the world of this movie, Shakespeare doesn't seem to have come up with the original stories on his own. For example, the Romeo and Juliet with Christopher Marlowe. And then Twelfth Night is Viola at the end, who's like, this is what you should write about. And this is how it should be. And I was just like, oh, did Shakespeare not have original storyline ideas but I guess he was a master at the way he he wrote his stories but I just was like that's something I picked up on while watching this movie so did that that bummed you out the the sort of idea of um the originality of it at least within the context of the film I don't know if it bummed me out but I was just like that's interesting because then you know the whole theme I, I picked up on was like art imitating life is just like Art is hard, you know, creating original art is hard. So is I think... Is there any original art, Michelle? <laughs> <There you> <laughs> <laughs> that is a very fair question. So, but I think a lot of people who create things use real world life as uh, inspiration. Of course, yeah. But in the vein of Shakespeare, or I shouldn't say Shakespeare, but in the vein of like 
writers or creators. They always find inspiration in living life, being outside, meeting people, like sitting on a sidewalk, just observing people walk back and forth, you know, maybe overhearing conversations here and there. And I think that's how a lot of people come to make art. So I just thought that was something kind of interesting. And it it makes sense that Shakespeare would create his art by just having conversations with people, spitballing ideas and stuff like that. So it didn't bum me out. I just thought it was kind of noteworthy. Got it. And then, yeah, what is art, Lucy? <laughs> Whole nother podcast, Michelle. <laughs> We've got six other podcast ideas here going. <laughs> oh, man. And then one final moment I have is I thought it was weird just because, again, this was maybe my second proper watch of this movie, was Viola and Shakespeare. Every time they're, like, getting it on, their foreplay is just reciting the play to each other. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, but I was just like... Oh, this is interesting. Like, yeah, I don't know if that would put me in the mood if I'm just reciting the play. But, you know, there it is. <laughs> well, I feel like within the context of the film, it tracks because I feel like part of that theme is this idea of like getting swept up in romance, right? And and mm. sort of the spell that gets cast and then subsequently broken in some of the scenes where she's like, hold up, you married? What the fuck, bro? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and would you love a fool? Would you love a player? You know, as they're mm. sort of within the context of this world that they're creating, she is you know, almost as in love with his words as mm. she is with him. And sort of that is her her love language. You know, that is what is so beautiful to her, the poetry that brings her out of this really constricted life that she finds in the theater. And so she herself is trying to figure out, like, hold up, am I just in love with, like, the words that this guy is saying? And then when she fears his death, you know, as, again, the art imitating life and I didn't love that scene in the mm. in the funeral but you know then she's like oh no I really I really love this guy so while it may be heavy-handed I think <laughs> I think it works in the context of what they're trying to express all right I agree with you that makes a lot of sense <laughs> you don't the have explanation to <laughs> no 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 I agree though I do agree because you're right is she in love with Shakespeare because of what he stands for and what he's produced, these great works of art that she's in love with? She can recite them, you know, from memory as she's sitting there watching his plays. Or is she in love with the person himself? That's a really good point. But if I were Shakespeare and, you know, about to make love, I, I just saying my own words, I feel like that would be weird. That'd be very weird. Well, he is kind of full of himself. It is. It does kind of. I mean, the whole. <laughs> That's fair. But yeah, I think you kind of walk into this movie or you sit down and enjoy this movie knowing that it's not supposed to be based on actual historical facts. So yeah. I think they did a really good job in kind of putting that disbelief aside from the from the get-go. What do you think about the ending? I, again, enjoyed the ending. And it's funny, as I was re-watching this, I kind of had a moment where I was like, does this end the way Romeo and Juliet? Like, I couldn't actually remember from the original time I watched it how it does end. Mm. And so even though I kind of assume they're not going to end up together, right? I mean, yeah. I think it would have been a terrible ending if they ended up together. <laughs> because frankly, Agreed. he would have moved on to some other woman who would be his next mute. You know, like, mm. it just, it doesn't, it wouldn't have played out in the context of the characters. Yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed the ending from everything from, you know, suspending your disbelief to your point of like her jumping in at the last minute, you know, being so in love with his work that she knows every single word of it. And Judy Dench, who I'm not sure, was she hidden as a commoner? Was that the whole jam that like she wasn't sort of no one knew that she was there and then she sort of emerges? Yeah, that was kind of my understanding of that scene. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, circling back to sort of whether or not one can find love in this play, um, or I forget what the exact bet was, but, you know, the sort mm. of resolution of the bet, her knowing that it is Gwyneth, <laughs> you know, that it is Viola, yeah. it's not it's not Thomas Kent, you know, that it is her, but she lets her do it anyway, because she understands what it's like to be in a, a woman in a position of power, etc., yeah, it was great. And then I, I liked that they sort of had that dream sequence, you know, her saying Twelfth Night, him coming up with the ideas of Twelfth Night, being based on Viola and sort of streaming it into the next play, the next work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I enjoyed the ending. I didn't really have any kind of emotional revelations while watching this. Um, I think I knew that they weren't going to end up together. Agree. It, it wouldn't have made sense if they did end up together. It, it just wouldn't have served the movie at all if they did. 
I was confused, if I can say so, about the dream sequence where they're falling into the water. I was like, it just seemed like an interesting style choice, uh, just because that was like the first moment that they kind of made that kind of sequence happen. I, I guess this kind of also leads into a question quite naturally, but this relationship between Viola and Wessex, because obviously Viola and Shakespeare aren't together. Sure. What does the Wessex and Viola relationship look like? Like every other loveless marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Viola. Poor woman. Poor every like, woman throughout time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, oh boy. I don't know. I was reading something or I, I listened to something where it, it got kind of dark. It was like, does he kill her? Because like off the bat, you know, she defies him the day they get married. She runs to the theater and like Wessex isn't a great man, to, you know, needless to say. But obviously the man has the power at, at this time in, in history. But yeah, loveless marriage to say the least. Yes. And also, I don't feel like they play him to be that. I mean, this whole movie, we're suspending a lot of belief yeah. <laughs> or disbelief yeah. in sort of the historical accuracies of lots of things. Yeah. And I think if they had pushed him too hard, it wouldn't have worked within what they were trying to achieve. So I think it's more of like the the movie was playing more on the loss of true romance in in sort of the era of the time that that it was this fleeting moment, you know, and they're you know, having these nights together. But I don't think Colin Firth plays it to the point where you're like, oh, she's going to go die in the new world. Like, I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't yeah, yeah, get, yeah. I didn't sort of get that. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, that was just very dramatic. You know, does he be, come to hate her and just like resent her for embarrassing him in front of the queen and all that stuff? But mm. yeah, I, I, I do agree. It's definitely about the lost love yeah. between Shakespeare and Viola. I mean, let's be real. There's always got to be an evil an American in an English movie. Always. Just always. <laughs> Name one that doesn't have it. <laughs> That's fair. I have a few questions here that I didn't really flesh out on my end, but okay. are these any of these characters likable or relatable to you? Lol. Um, no, but... <laughs> I mean, Shakespeare is not that likable in this movie. <laughs> Agree. But he's not really meant to be. They they don't push him to be super unlikable. He's more of the, the tortured artist, a caricature mm -hmm. of a tortured artist player who is struggling to, through his writer's block. You know, like it's... Yeah. I feel like all of the characters are like almost caricatures in certain aspects. Mm -hmm. um, I think Gwen was actually great in it. You know, I like her character. I think she's inspiring you know they had uh, when this was made I'm sure like they couldn't make her sort of the fawning it wouldn't have worked in the film so I think the choices they made with all the characters were good but I wouldn't call any of them super like relatable or like right it's just you know I mean my favorite characters were probably Judy Dench obviously could we mm -hmm. talk about her anymore yeah uh, <laughs> Rupert Everett <laughs> Yeah, Imelda Staunton, again, like all the people. I mean, Jeffrey Rush is great as the owner of yes. the Rose. What about you? So to this question about the characters being likable and relatable, I just like wrote dot, dot, dot. Because like, <laughs> no. <laughs> because yeah, agree. I just co-signed everything you just said about that. But in terms of my favorite character, I wrote down Fennyman, who is Tom Wilkinson, just because the arc of his character was the most surprising to me in the sense that he starts off with torturing Jeffrey Rush, asking him for money, putting his boots over the fire, but then he just becomes so enamored with theater and just wants to be part of the play. And But yeah, Judy Dench, obviously, again, I don't need to say anything else. This about is just that. a Judy Dench podcast. <laughs> We're here for it. <laughs> Imelda Staunton loved her. But I do want to take a moment to be like the actor Joseph Fiennes, who plays Will Shakespeare. Where has he been? Uh, I feel like he came out with this movie, which I think was really early on in his career. And then just nothing. And I do know that he's in Handmaid's Tale. <sighs> Sorry, I just like shuddered. Yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, its own. That's its own. We got seven more podcasts we got to <laughs> record because it's that's that's a uh, too close for yeah. me. But yeah. <laughs> That's that's kind of all I've seen him in, but I think he did a really good job acting as Shakespeare. Yeah, he was very effective for me, playing this tortured artist, finding his muse, you know. I felt his pain, I guess you could say. Uh, not my favorite character, just wanted to call out. I think he did a really good job, Joseph Fiennes, and Agree. bummed that his next big claim to fame was, I guess, playing this man on Handmaid's Tale, which I've only seen season one, so I, I, and that was enough for me. <laughs> so, 
no good can come of that. We are yeah. all living The Handmaid's Tale, so we'll just leave it at that. Exactly. Hence why I've dived into rom-coms more. There you go. <laughs> Full disclosure, I mm. definitely had a moment where I forgot there is Joseph Fiennes and Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. And I definitely was like, wait, which one's which? And I had to go look it up because I was like, oh, so Ray Fiennes is he who shall not be named. Yes. And Joe Fiennes <laughs> is in this. Because I was like, yes. wait, English patient? Wait. Mm. And I had to like, I had to go back. Slightly embarrassing. But I, I mean, they're brothers. They look exactly the same. They do. They really do. Yeah. But yes, he was... He was great in this gave his brother a run for his money yeah he who shall not be named yeah i think you know ray fines is definitely the one i think most people know more than brother joe fines but i'm not bummed i guess i haven't seen him in anything but just surprised that his career didn't take off after this movie yeah maybe it did and i just didn't watch any of those films so there's that too more stuff to look up after yeah and then I have a question here not sure if you have anything to add but you know which character do you think has the most character development does anyone have character development besides Fennyman? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess. I mean, does Gwen have that much development? I mean, the, it centers so much around the two of them. I feel like they both have their own character arc, but none of them that felt really meaningful, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, that's why I also like I didn't have anything to add on this sure. question on my end, just because I was like, I guess, but also not really. It's very honed in on just this love story of the two of them, and they don't get to have each other the way they want to. Does the music have any kind of place in your heart? No. <laughs> no, I, I I, actually, when I saw the soundtrack stuff, I was like, oh, I don't remember. The only parts that stood out to me regarding music were the end scenes, because I feel like there's... A- I feel like the sort of like wide angle beach scene a la, mm. you know, feels closer to the end of um, Shawshank Redemption or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, like it's sort of like somebody walking along a beach, you know, the the wide angle panning out, the sort of yeah. like sweeping music that comes through that. But mm-hmm. I think that's just more of what they were trying to portray than anything that really stuck for me. Yeah. I agree. It didn't really mean anything to me. And to be honest with you, it didn't really catch my ears as I was watching it. Same. But I do want to call out that this actually won the Oscar for Best Music Original Score. Hmm. So there's that. Congrats. Congrats to them. Yeah. I mean, there's also something to be said about this being a period film. And obviously, there's not going to be like pop songs inserted into a Shakespeare period film. So I I think I was just more invested in the storyline of the movie itself. Well, it's funny that you you mentioned that because as we're talking about this, I kept thinking about Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Mm. And I was like, oh, that would be a really interesting movie to watch after this in comparison. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. they're trying to do different things. But that soundtrack, I don't know about you, but like that soundtrack has such a place in my memory of like, you know, the radio head, like, you know, like everything about that film and like those scenes, I just feel like really played to the time in my life that I was going through those. So I thought it was it was be an interesting reflection to kind of think about these. This is like the older, more mature (laughs) version in certain ways. You know, they're different. They're trying to do different things. But totally. um, I was sort of thinking about that as we've been talking about it yeah that would be an interesting film to kind of revisit as well um not a rom-com i I, yeah no i'm just bringing it back like the soundtrack of that movie really was a moment in time yeah wow i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely listen to that soundtrack after we (laughs) we we're done here but so good (laughs) it's yeah wow i totally forgot about that soundtrack so good and as i was watching shakespeare love you know obviously the play that they're acting within the movie is romeo and juliet I did kind of think of the Leo and Claire Danes movie. I was like, oh, I, I haven't seen that movie in a while. I should I should um, check that out again. Yeah, baby Leo before he was a creep. <laughs> yeah. It must have been post-Titanic, right? Had to have been because Titanic was like his big thing, I think. I think it was pre-Titanic. Really? Huh. Okay. Yeah, like just like not a, not a long time before Titanic, but I think it was like two. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But yeah. Well, it would be a good that would be a good one to rewatch. I haven't rewatched that in years. Yeah, it's a good one. So you love this movie, but do you think like the general public has beloved feelings towards this movie? Um, do you think this is a popular watch and if it has longevity? I'm really torn on this because I do really love this film. 
This film kind of feels like a moment in time. This film feels like it was just such an easy, enjoyable, take me for the ride watch. Mm. Like I didn't have to think too hard. I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I enjoyed it anyway. I guess certain aspects of it hold some memories for me in terms of Gwyneth and and sort of that point in time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's as popular with other people. I don't know if it's sort of popular because it won all the awards and because there's so many famous actors in it. I think it somewhat has longevity. I mean, there wasn't anything where I was like huge glaring problems with it. Yeah. It's not like a... I mean, it's no Charlie Kaufman film, <laughs> you know, like it's not sticking with you in the sense that you're like constantly thinking about it in mm. this or like it's not making me question things or revisit scenes over and over again in my head beyond mm. sort of what they were trying to do. Yeah, I don't know. It's an easy watch. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Mm. Like, I'm kind of unsure as well. Like, I think, as you said, it's really a moment in time. I think this movie is kind of bigger than what it was Mm. in actuality because of Gwyneth and all the, you know, commercial success this movie had. But when it comes down to also, like, rom-coms, I don't know if this is, like, an immediate reach for a lot of people. Sure. Maybe because we're very used to just, like, I mean... Okay, sorry, I'm going to backtrack what I just said. I think people today, consumers of rom-coms today, it's a lot of it is unfortunately a guilty pleasure, which, you know, it's fun. It's an escape. And that's what it is. And this, I think it still is an escape, even though it's not maybe easily digestible, just because a lot of it is in Shakespeare prose. And like what I said before, there's a lot of historical knowledge that people, it might get lost on some people. But I don't think it's trying to say anything big either. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure either, I guess. I, I, I'm. There's no clear answer for me on this one. Well, I feel like this is this is the rom-com for English teachers with elbow patches. Do you know what I mean? Like, this, is, <laughs> this is the rom-com. Like, this is not Bridesmaids. Like, this is not right. 10 Things I Hate About You. Which, oh, you know, which, fair, Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Or even, you know, what Boz Lerman is trying to do in Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Maybe this is less rewatchable in the sense that it doesn't mm. really it doesn't really beg another watch. I enjoyed it. It doesn't necessarily need it. And it's not as light and fluffy sort of Cheeto worthy watching of, you know, some other sort of guilty pleasure because it's kind of an indie movie that got a lot of critical acclaim with excellent actors that mm-hmm. isn't a drama, <laughs> you know, so it's it's a, right. it's a weird maybe mixing or blending of a few different things, which is why we're probably having trouble putting it in one camp. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's not necessarily a big rewatch. I think that's a big part of it as well. I think a lot of beloved movies are just movies that you've seen, I don't know, tens, hundred times. Mm -hmm. But if I could be an example, like, yeah, this was just my second rewatch of this movie. So yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. You know, we we talked about it earlier about if this movie's aged well. And I I don't know if there's anything necessarily to add to this. Um, Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> in the sense that it's clearly in, you know, the 1500s. So that's just a different way of how life was back then, you know, yeah. talking down to women, women just being second class citizens and, you know, all that. That's that's how it was, unfortunately. And is it, it still is and and sorry. <laughs> still is in many Parkinson, parts of the world. Lock it up. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. No, it's, you're right. Yeah, the way they speak about women, obviously very troublesome. And obviously no diversity, but was there diversity in the 1500s in Stratford-upon-Avon? So, no. Did you find any trivia points? I, I did. I alluded earlier to the Oscar controversy. So this is a Harvey Weinstein produced film. Terrible human being. We should just replace every time you've said Weinstein with just like he who should not be named. <laughs> like yes. I just don't even want to give him any airtime through anything we're discussing. <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. But I mentioned that this beat Saving Private Ryan, which I think was the favored film to win the 99 Oscars. Many people have said that Harvey bullied and used his power and influence to buy the award for Best Picture so much that like the Academy rules changed after this movie. And many Academy members said that if they were given a second chance to vote for Best Picture, they would actually give it to Saving Private Ryan. I mean, that's that's a weird. Yeah, I don't know. Just to be associated with this movie like today in 2020. I don't know. It's 
a lot of weird feelings. I think a lot of people probably try to distance themselves from this movie. But, you know, on its own, it's a great movie. Just unfortunately, it was helmed by a terrible person. He's a garbage person. Yeah. I didn't have any feelings about rewatching this because I had already seen it at the time. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't have feelings about rewatching yeah. regarding in that context. In terms of award shows, I mean, yes, 0% surprised. Most award shows are bought. <laughs> yep. I mean, just generally speaking, I feel like that is more of what we're seeing today is, yeah. you know, trying to change the rules to make them more diverse, trying to actually fix award seasons. But they're just problematic in general. Yeah. Like, I don't really think the Oscars really reflect great movies throughout history, generally speaking. Mm. I'm I'm not surprised that it won based on them basically buying the award. Like I'm just I'm just not surprised by that. And yeah. I was surprised that Parasite won because it actually deserved it. But <laughs> <laughs> that's again different stuff. Oh man, Parasite! That that movie messed me up, man. It is so good. Do you want to create a sub <laughs> podcast about other movies? Because I'm in. I'm just saying. I could talk about Parasite for hours. It's so oh my good. How did it mess you? Okay, we can talk about that later. But I just, yeah, another. Did yeah. you like it? Because it's really good. I enjoyed it, but I there's a reason why I reach for rom coms. Okay, if you know what it. I mean. Yeah, like, got it, yeah, got it, got so. it. Okay, understood. <laughs> You're like Lucy. Lock it up. <laughs> It stayed with me in a very different way and not in a pleasant way, which is what I tend to like, the feeling I like to get after I watch a movie. Sure. Movies as escape. Yes. The world is scary enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I stand at this moment in time. Fair. But yeah, the Academy Awards, it's a business in and of itself, as we mentioned earlier. So that's just, yeah. The Wikipedia page of this movie is a lot of it just post-release of this movie. So a lot of stuff there. Casting was... Interesting, Julia Roberts was originally supposed to play Viola in a very different kind of production. She wanted Daniel Day-Lewis to play Shakespeare. I know. That's wild. He passed. So the project stalled. Yeah, that would have been a very different movie. So different. And I wonder if, because I think I was reading that they changed, they edited the screenplay as well after that, right? Mm, Yeah, they had a different ending to this movie with Gwyneth, but then they like had to reshoot the ending like weeks before the film actually released. So yeah, this movie just seemed like there was a lot of stuff going on. I can't really imagine. It would have just been a wildly different film if it was Daniel (laughs) Day-Lewis. It would have been a very serious, excellent drama, but (laughs) but there would be all of the Mel Brooks would be gone in this film. (laughs) No, 100%. And also like Julia Roberts, you know, she's great, but no. No, I don't think that she could have played Viola. I don't really want to see Julia Roberts do an English accent that I think she probably would have butchered knowing nothing and never having heard her do one before. But I think Gwyneth was good. I think she plays like this. uh, I don't know. She was just very believable. I just don't think Julia Roberts could have done this. I agree. Know your strengths. Yeah. Kate Winslet also turned down the offer to play Viola. Hmm. That would have been an interesting movie to see. But again, I'm glad that it was Gwyneth's role. Ben Affleck and Gwyneth dated during the filming of this movie. LOL, 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 LOL. Yes, I remember those times. That was a moment also. (laughs) Moments in time. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, the 90s were a bizarre time. Oh my goodness. Truth. Oh yeah, so I mentioned that this actually had a different ending. This new ending expands more on the development of the story of Twelfth Night. Oh, okay. So the original ending was just sort of like her being shipped off, like it didn't tie in all the Twelfth Night stuff? I think so. I think that's how it was originally supposed to be. Yeah. And just want to also take a moment, Twelfth Night, shout out. I did another podcast, She's the Man, which was based on Twelfth Night. So after watching this movie, it makes a lot of sense because (laughs) Viola, um, again, my Shakespeare knowledge is reduced to these movies. I was like, I love that your Shakespeare knowledge is She's the Man, which I cannot comment on because I have not seen it, but... (laughs) Oh, Lucy, I mean, if you like escape movies that have no kind of sense of realism, that that's the movie for you. Okay, but what was your take on that one? What was your rating out of curiosity? Oh, I gave it a nine. Okay, wow. Okay, so the fact that I gave this a nine and you gave that a nine, I just feel like speaks volumes, Shelps. <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> we all get to have our own scales. It is totally fine. I just think oh it's my gosh. <laughs> But I mean, hearing Viola and Shakespeare kind of hash out the plot of Twelfth Night, you know, 
oh, there's going to be a Duke. His last name is going to be Orsino. She's going to be a woman pretending to be a man. Really just teed it up for me. And I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. That's what Twelve Nights about. Got it. <laughs> AKA, that's what She's the Man is about. <laughs> I'm going to buy you like the Spark Notes box set of like Shakespeare's work. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I just, I don't know. Do you have memory of us like properly reading Shakespeare in high school? I do, actually. You do? I Where was I? I don't remember this. Um, I have a very weird visual memory. So I remember the classroom, too. It was in the South, South Wing. Um, oh, my gosh. For those who don't know, <laughs> Michelle and I went to high school together. We've known each other for a very long time. Um, oh, my gosh. Yes, South I Wing. wonder if we had classes together. I had it with Mrs. Battiato. Ah, she was hardcore. Not that yeah. anyone knows her who's listening to... Well, actually, yeah. maybe yeah, people maybe who are listening to this might remember <laughs> She was very hardcore. And I remember we read Romeo and Juliet in her class. Were you in mm. AP English? I'm like trying to remember if we had classes together. I had Mr. Battiato, sophomore year of English. And I think I had him again, if that's even correct, for senior year. That tracks. He was great. I loved him. He was a very sweet man. All this to say is that I don't really remember reading Shakespeare in high school, and I don't know why I have zero memories of it, because I I just wish, you know, now as an adult who likes to consume a lot of entertainment, I think a lot of it, you know, clearly like stems from Shakespeare. I wish I was more educated about his works of art, so... There's always time. I don't know. Will I use my time to read Shakespeare? All right, Frank, you know what the Christmas present is this year. <laughs> We're listening. She said it here first. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, like, preferably narrated by, like, Helena Bottom Carter and <laughs> updated to be modern. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm all for that. Yeah, that's that's all the trivia I found that was noteworthy to me. I think there's a lot of other things you could probably, you know, find. There's a lot of stuff out there about this movie. But do you have any last thoughts or last takes of this movie? I am slightly questioning my nine. Like, I'm slightly, oh. I'm like, should I have given it a nine? I don't know. Hmm. I feel like we've been oscillating sort of throughout the film, but yeah, maybe like an 8.7. No, I think I'm going to stick with my nine. I really like it, even if it is a moment in time. <laughs> But now I'm like, do I have to up my bridesmaid? Because did I give like, now I don't remember. So I'm going to have to go back and, and revisit. Shoot. What did you rate it? I'm sure it was up there. I love that movie. They're very different. They're very different. Um, You know, I think you should stick to your nine. I think this movie also holds a nostalgic place in your heart. And I, I get that. There's a lot of movies I've seen where it just, they're not good. But they just remind me of a moment in time where sure. things were a little bit happier and more innocent back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have any last takes. I I think this might be a movie that I haven't seen a lot, but it was very delightful. I would go back and rewatch it. But to your point earlier, it's not like the most rewatchable movie. If I had an option of movies to choose, Mm -hmm. this might not be one I reach for. But yeah, Moment in Time, Gwyneth Paltrow, that pink dress. (laughs) I just have very, very clear memories of when this movie came out in my life also. Sure. Another wonderful rom-com weekly, Michelle. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for doing this. I really, really am so grateful. Yeah, I love it. I love doing it. I'm happy to do it anytime. It makes me feel like I should do a serious podcast about some of my other dorky movie watches. I know you I know you love to watch movies and TV. You're a big consumer of media as well. I am, I am. All right. Well, we'll go offline and we'll talk about Parasite. But (laughs) thank you so much to all tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Romcom Weekly. You can follow us on Instagram at Romcom Weekly. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we would love to hear from you. What would you rate this movie on a scale from one to 10? And we'll chat with you again next week. Bye. Bye.